by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, and so it, that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader. At least for a little while we have Vicar here. We're doing some uh, funky things with our recording this particular day. So Vicar will be fading in and fading out while he goes and teaches Latin class and things like that. But it is a, a privilege for us to be here. It's a privilege for us to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska and beyond. Pastor Moline. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Yes, it's always good to be gathered around the Word of God. And we are looking at this particular program at the readings for the second Sunday in Lent. The second Sunday in Lent. Pastor, can you give us a couple of words why these Sundays are called Sundays in Lent and not Sundays of Lent? Well, they're... They're called Sundays in Lent and not Sundays of Lent because um, the season of Lent is going on, and yet uh, on Sundays uh, we kind of, in a way, they almost don't count towards the season of Lent. Uh, the season of Lent goes from uh, Monday through Saturday, uh, and it's those days that we count as the 40 days of Lent, but then we still have our divine service on the Sundays uh, where they celebrate, uh, in a way, a little Easter uh, with uh, hearing God's words, receiving God's gifts in the Lord's Supper, and uh, participating in the liturgy of the church. And so, in a way, they're in the season of Lent, but they're still not yet a part of the season of Lent. It's kind of a weird thing in that way that the church works. Yeah, it is a, it is a uh, strange and weird designation that way. We, uh, we look at Sundays as little celebrations of the resurrection. And during Lent, our Sundays are a little more subdued. We hold mm -hmm. back and we voluntarily refrain from singing the hymn of praise and alleluias. Uh, oh, every once in a while one might slip in, but... Uh, we're, we're intentionally fasting in that respect. We have a liturgical fast, and we will break the fast during the Easter Vigil. And if you want to find out more about the uh, unique Easter Vigil service, you have to check out the Easter Vigil episode. I believe that was episode 11 of At Home in Your Hymnal. And it's uh, playing on KNNA at various times as well. But you can go to the archive section and check that out. But today we want to look specifically at the second Sunday in Lent. We're spending extra time during this Lenten season on our introits. The uh, introits are our special focus for our Wednesday Lenten worship, and this particular 
introit is a significant portion of Psalm 25. Psalm 25 comes up often in our pericopes. It is an outstanding psalm. And uh, Vicar, take it away. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Let not my enemies exult over me. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all of his troubles. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. All right, we have a title, uh, Reminiscere or Reminiscere, depending on how your uh, Latin pronunciation is. And in this particular introit, the first word of the introit is the Latin name for the Sunday. And reminiscere, you can you can hear the English word reminisce, reminisce, and the English translation here is remember. We got a lot of remembering going on in this particular introit, Pastor. So right off the bat, the first line says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Who is doing the remembering? Who's asking? Who's pleading? Who's help sort this out? Would you please? Well, it's the psalmist that's uh, um, asking God to remember. So God's remembering, and the psalmist uh, is praying that God will. And I think the the key to it is the thing that he's asking God to remember: steadfast love, the compassion and mercy and care that God has shown. Uh, throughout all the days of the existence of this creation, uh, and even up until now. Uh, remember your steadfast love that you showed to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they fell into sin. Remember your steadfast love that you uh, showed to uh, your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, especially Jacob here, as we see, redeem Israel out of its troubles in the next part. Uh, remember your steadfast love uh, shown to David uh, and uh, all of his other saints in the Old Testament times. Uh, remember how you care for us, Lord. That's the prayer. So the psalmist is the one praying that God would remember. And the specific thing that we want him to remember here is that mercy and steadfast love. We've talked about that that chesed, that steadfast love, many times before, and uh, we, won't, uh, we won't overkill on that particular uh, topic or that particular word. Um, they have been from of old. What's happening here, Pastor? They have been from of old. This is a... Um like I said, a, a look back and saying you were compassionate and, and merciful before uh, from of old in the days of yore, perhaps is the way some people would say it. Uh, the long days gone by, um, you back, were this back way in before. the olden days. Yeah, back when, uh, you know, uh, some of us were children, uh, not the vicar who's a young buck here, but remember how you did it before. Do that same thing for me now. 
Okay. And so in that respect, uh, this is a good history lesson because we are, we are looking at the history of how God has treated his people in the past. And he has always treated his people with mercy and steadfast love. Vicar, we've, uh, we've talked a lot about that steadfast love word. Give us a uh, short overview for those who are just tuning in for the first time. Chesed, or steadfast love. Uh, that's a word that encompasses everything. It's the grace, love, mercy, gentle kindness, everything that God has for us. Basically, it's uh, saying that God loves us sinners. Even though we're sinful and fall away from him and do not do as he desires us to do, we break all the Ten Commandments all the time, God still loves us and reaches out for us with this continual steadfast love. Okay, and you will notice as you you read your Bibles and especially as you read the Psalms, you will notice that this word steadfast love comes up all the time all the time. And so that's a word to uh, be familiar with and literally to fall in love with. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. What enemies, pastor, are causing Israel? And when we're, maybe maybe before we get into that, who is this Israel that uh, the psalmist is talking about here? Uh, before we get into the unpacking the rest. Well, um, there is definitely the person Israel, who was Jacob from the uh, patriarchs, the uh, grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, uh, out of whom the 12 tribes of Israel are all born uh, and and get their being. He's the one who received the promise of a Savior uh, to be born through him. Uh, He's the one that uh, stole his uh, birthright from Esau uh, and swapped that uh, whole thing around. He has many enemies then uh, in the Old Testament time his brother Esau for a while, uh, his uh, father-in-law he has conflict with, he has other people that he runs into on his travels and journeys uh, in which there is conflict and difficulty, even at times his own family and kids, uh, problems where a town uh, is all murdered by his sons because of circumcision. We can get into all those things, but then we also have him being the personification of the nation of Israel and all the people who are Jewish and their birth, and uh, their enemies would be uh, different. It would be other nation states. They have uh, Egypt to the southwest. They have uh, Moab and Edom and Ammon across the Dead Sea. They have to the north uh, east um, Babylon and uh, all those uh, Assyrian kingdoms and whatnot. And to the northwest, they have the Greeks, the Philistines, and also uh, the people that are living in uh, what was now Turkey. And so uh, all these people are all fighting over the area of Israel because it is the place where trade routes can go from north to south. Uh, They all have to pass there through that narrow band of land. And so we have all those things being brought together in the word enemies uh, relating to Israel, we have to read into their sin, death, and the power of the devil being our enemies uh, that we face in the same way that Israel faced all those other things. So that word enemies can incorporate a lot of different ideas within it. Okay, you killed two birds with one stone there, talking about Israel and uh, the enemies here, sin, death, and the power of the devil. Uh, The children of Israel had real 
uh, nations and wars coming after them. Uh, that's possible for us today here, but our primary enemies are those things that are uh, the result of sin, uh, the devil, the world, and our flesh, um, the uh, power of sin, which is the power of death. All these things are upon us and attack us uh, all the time. Now, when we're, when we're looking at the Psalms, Pastor, we've, we've said this on numerous occasions. We have said that the Psalms need to be read from the perspective of Christ, that the Psalms are either the words of Christ that he speaks or words that are speaking of Christ. We've also heard, and I'm not so sure how many times we've talked about it on this program, but we've also heard the term Israel reduced to one. Now, I don't know if you like that term or not, but uh, commentators use it a lot. So... When we're talking about Israel, we're talking about Jacob, we're talking about the children of Israel, we're talking about the new Israel, which is his church, all believers in Jesus Christ. What is this Israel reduced to one thing? Well, all of those people then uh, that you've just mentioned, the church, the people of old, uh, all the faithful people throughout the ages, the chosen people of God, uh, all find their identity and their person in Jesus Christ. Uh, He's the one then that takes the place of all those folks uh, by dying and bleeding and suffering on the cross, by being laid into the tomb, and by rising again on the third day. And so in that way, Christ stands in the place of all of us. It's like he's our substitute. Um, He gets, uh, uh, when the things get bad for us, he gets substituted into our place and takes the suffering and the pain upon us so that we might only have the good and the blessing and the uh, grace from God. We see this uh, Israel reduced to one in the person and work of Jesus Christ at his baptism. Mm-hmm. We see the uh, Israel reduced to one in the person and work of Christ at his temptation, which we covered last week in uh, in the wilderness, as he fulfills and succeeds where Adam fails. We see this most often at the cross, where he who knew no sin became sin for us. We always need to keep that picture in mind as we're looking at uh, Jesus and the Psalms. You know, we need to take a short break. We'll come back and finish up our introit portion of Psalm 25. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. This is Proclaiming the One. K-N-N-A-L-P 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader is still with us. We are, uh, uh, not that he's terminally ill or anything like that. He's going to run off and teach class here pretty soon. But we're looking at the readings for the second Sunday in Lent, one of the newer great Lent hymns in the Lutheran Church, My Song is Love Unknown. And uh, that was uh, first introduced to Lutheranism in Hymnal Supplement 69. Some of you may remember that uh, little red book that came out to supplement TLH. Vicar has this glazed look over his eyes. Um, yeah, what well, uh, this came out in 1969, Vicar. When were you born? <clears throat> 1993. 1993. That's probably why you don't know that. I'll find a copy of it, and I'll gift it to you. <laughs> but uh, a great hymn, and it walks us through the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Great hymn to memorize as well. We're uh, spending a little extra time this year on the introits. The introits are the focus for our Wednesday worship. And just as a reminder, during Lent, we have two opportunities to worship on Wednesday. We gather at 4 p.m. and at 6.30 p.m. with a fellowship meal in between at six, uh, serving from 5 until 6.15. Please join us, and you'll have an opportunity to hear these uh, introits not only explained as we're doing here, but proclaimed, preached to you as they point us to the one Lord and Savior from sin, Jesus Christ. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Pastor, how do I lift up my soul to the Lord? This this must be a, a metaphor or a word picture for something because I'm not even 100% sure what my soul is. How can I physically lift it up? What's happening here? Well, uh, the way that it's used here is that we're... Uh, speaking in sacrificial language we're offering it up before god we're saying here here's what i have uh i need you to care for it i need you to provide for it i need you to um uh, provide all that i need in this life and in this world uh and in the world to come and so here i am my whole being my soul my my body and spirit all together here i am i am before you and uh, i'm in your care and in your um mercy, basically. And I mean, that's the whole theme of Lent is that we're in the mercy of God uh, and that alone. And that's what these words are saying, that we are here before you, God, and whatever you decide is where we are. We are we are lifting up our cares, our burdens, our worries. Um, it may be too simplistic to think of this only as prayer, but it certainly encompasses what our prayer life should be or should uh, should encompass. Oh my God, in you I trust, let me not be put to shame. Vicar, how is a person put to shame? Well, you're put to shame when you put your trust in the wrong things and they don't do for you as you think they should. Uh Maybe you uh, have some cash in your hand. You're going to go make a deal to buy a car, and you think, oh, yes, I have enough. You put all your hope and trust in that cash in order to get the car, and then you show up, and the guy says, no, I won't do that for you. That's too low. And uh, so you might be shamed a little bit because what you had hoped in, your money didn't do for you what you wanted it to do. Well, 
We put our trust in the Lord, the one who will rescue us in every time of trouble, and we will not be put to shame because of that faith in him. When you got up this morning and uh, you made the uh, trip from your house, which isn't too far, did you drive or walk today? I did drive, yes. You did drive because you you, know, you were lazy and you didn't want to get your, your it's body cold. Outside. cold. It's yes. cold, Okay. Yeah. So um, when you got up this morning, why did you put clothes on? to cover my shame i don't want other people to be able to see uh-huh. me that way <laughs> okay well you did it to be warm but uh we don't walk around naked because there is a little bit of shame that is with there and i think i think when we hear that shame word we have to always be thinking about our nakedness now we're not talking about physical nakedness but what covers us over and this is where psalm 25 is going that's the reason I, I wanted to pull that out of you there, because Psalm 25 is basically saying, what are you covered up with? What are you covered over with? If you're covered over with the right thing, you have no shame. If you're covered over with the wrong thing, you still have and you still carry your own shame. So uh, in keeping with that thought, the next line, Pastor, we have another remember, but it says, remember not. So we're asking God to remember who he is and how he has worked. What now are we asking God to not remember? Well, the the words say, remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. In other words, don't remember all the things that I've done wrong against your word, all the ways I've broken your commandments, uh, all the things that have gone against your desire for me. Don't remember those things uh, in my bad column, uh, but instead uh, forgive me and grant me grace and mercy and, and compassion for your sake. Well, we've got a problem here because God is perfect. And if God is perfect, he has a perfect memory. And so how are we going to resolve this? Remember who you are, God. No problem. He's full of steadfast love and mercy. Remember not my sins. Well, how can a just God, who is perfect and holy, not remember my sins, my transgressions, my sins of my youth? Well, the psalmist answers it in the next line. According to your steadfast love, remember me. It goes all the way back to that first line, which is Psalm 25, verse 1. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Put these two together. How can God, who has no memory problem, and he remembers everything, how can he remember not the sins of my youth when he remembers me according to his steadfast love? It sounds like a riddle. What's the solution? The solution is is that uh, the steadfast love of God is this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself up as a atoning sacrifice, a propitiation uh, for our sin. Uh, God in Jesus remembers us and how much he cares for us, and he bleeds, dies, and suffers so that the sins of our youth and our transgressions might be covered over with that blood, that uh, they might be erased from us. We might be clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness instead of the uh, guilt and shame we had carried before. This uh, this remembering psalm, in Psalm 25, it's uh, 
since we started doing these proclaiming the ones and spending extra time in our introits, I just always kind of taken them for granted before. But I have just fallen in love with Psalm 25. Most people, if you ask them what their favorite psalm is, number 25 is not going to be in the top 10, might not even be in the top 140. But Psalm 25 is so awesome, and it all revolves around this remembering metaphor, this remembering theme. Now, Pastor, I'm going to make a I'm going to make an observation based on 60 years of life and the whole theme of remembering, and I want your reaction to it. Are you ready? Ready. People tend to remember the things they should forget and forget the things they should remember. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> ah. Uh, exactly correct. Uh, people remember, um, 20 years ago when their brother sinned against them or swore at them. People remember Kyle or Craig. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) People remember when their, um, spouse maybe, uh, left their socks the wrong side out or whatever, or left a pair of underwear you, on the You are being floor. autobiographical here. Um, I know that. All these things are what happened. We remember those bad things, but we forget the times that uh, uh, a brother or spouse or loved one cared for us or visited us or brought us dinner, uh, those sorts of things. We, we remember the bad things because our sinful nature knows it can use those as ammunition. Um, we forget the good things because... Um, those aren't as useful to our sinful nature because they they don't allow us to focus on ourselves and our own needs and desires. And uh, I think therein lies the challenge of uh, being a sinner in this world is um, forgetting the bad and remembering the good, forgetting um, the things that God promises to forget uh, and trusting in the things that God promises to give, love, mercy, forgiveness, and salvation. We also tend to hang on to our guilt and shame. God tells us it's gone. God tells us it is as far as the east is from the west. God tells us that on account of Jesus, he remembers our sin no more. But we think we are better than God, so we'll hang on to it, even though God tells us he hasn't. And then we turn right around, as you said, Pastor, and we use it as a weapon for our own uh, personal gain. That's why this next line is so good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. What does he instruct us? Well, first of all, he instructs us about Jesus, of course, who is steadfast love personified. But he teaches us, he continues to teach us to let go of our sin, to let go of our shame, to let go of our uh, guilt and baggage, to remember it no more, and to remember God and to remember his attributes and his love and the way that love is manifest in us. We need this teaching each and every day. That's why we need to go to church on a regular basis to hear the word of God and to be instructed in the way we should go. Now, it's worth mentioning in the book of Acts, that's what the Christian church is called in the beginning is the way, uh, the way where we are instructed sinners, instructed in the forgiveness that Christ has won for us. And and whenever you see that phrase, the way, that always takes us back to Psalm 1, which is the beginning of the Psalter and teaches us the way that is right. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. 
for it is great. What does the name of God and the sake of the name of God have to do with my forgiveness? Well, uh, to begin with, we would say the name of God is a powerful thing because it gives you access to God by knowing the name. This is what Pastor Kuhlman's always talking about, uh, and I think he's right in that regard. We also then have that name that is placed upon us in the same way that a vicar would brand his cattle or put an ear tag in there. That name was placed upon us in the waters of holy baptism that says uh, this baptized person now belongs to God. Uh, that name uh, is uh, applied to us again and again as we remember that uh, reality when our sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, all these things have God's name uh, placed upon us, and that's the reason we can ask for forgiveness and say that we are, in fact, forgiven when we ask it. The uh, you know, Speaking of that, you know, the, the branding and the ear tags, you know something I just remembered? No. Vicar has never invited me over for one of those big steak suppers uh, from these cattle that he uh, raises out around worms, and uh, I don't think I'm ever going to forget that. <laughs> we'll have to remember that when we fill out the final evaluation. Ah, there you go. Uh, Vicar, the gradual, we, we don't always focus on the gradual, but the gradual is two more verses from Psalm 25. You want to share those two verses as we uh, bring this particular segment to a close. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. The forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. That is what proclaiming the one is all about. We need to take a short break. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday in Lent. When we come back, we'll look at the gospel reading, Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Don't change that dial. What makes this at noon on KNNA. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. It's amazing, isn't it? The very the very lips that shouted out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David. Welcome him on Palm Sunday. Just a few short days later are crying out, crucify him, crucify him. That uh, him 
our our song is love unknown that love unknown is known and it is known in the person work of Jesus Christ that that chesed that steadfast love that we've been talking about in our introit that we covered in sections 1 and 2 of our program we want to uh, move now to the gospel reading Matthew 15:21 to 28 pastor you want to share those words please and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to Tyre and Sidon and behold a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. We have before us one of the most challenging and difficult texts of all to read, to hear, to understand, to study. Put yourself in the place of the preacher who is tasked with preaching on these words, words that uh, certainly make it seem like Jesus is a jerk, Uh, an inconsiderate uh, racist, maybe, you know, certainly, certainly misogynistic here because, uh, you know, he's being mean to a woman. There are all kinds of crazy things that people come up with with regard to this text, and they are missing the progression, and they are missing what God, through the Apostle Matthew, is teaching us here in this particular account. So uh, are you ready for this, Pastor? Are you up for the challenge, ready to sort this out? We'll do the best we can do. Amen. By the help of the Spirit. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So what? What's happening here? Well, Tyre and Sidon are along the coast of the Mediterranean, and they are not traditional Jewish territory. They are, in fact, Canaanite territory, uh, areas where the Philistines uh, were the main rulers and, and owners of that land. And you know from the Old Testament, the Israelites and the Philistines were always uh, at each other's necks and fighting. They are related then to also the uh, Carthaginians and the uh, uh, the people who fought the Punic Wars against uh, Rome hundreds of years before this time. And so it's not a Jewish area. The people there are not Jews. And so Number one, it's weird that Jesus goes there to visit, uh, but then also then the people that live there are not Jewish and they ought not be uh, in communication uh, with the Jews in the normal way of thinking. And yet uh, all these things that are happening uh, are reflected by that word, the district of Tyre and Sidon. Okay, so Jesus goes to a place where it would, it would not be common for the people there to know the word of God and the promises of God. And yet we have in the prophets, especially in the prophet Isaiah, 
where he says that the word of God is going to be like a light shining in a dark place. And he even specifically mentions Tyre and Sidon as a place. So Jesus is fulfilling scripture by going here and spreading out with his particular word. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came and was crying. Now, before we get to what she was crying, the actual words that she was crying, uh, Pastor, the significance of the fact that she's a Canaanite, some of the older translations, especially the King James Version, would say Seraphonician woman. Are we just restating the fact that she's from the area of Tyre and Sidon, or is there some other significance that's going on with relation to the Canaanite slash Seraphonician designation? Well, uh, it is clarifying even further the fact that this woman is not a uh, transplant from Israel living there, but rather that she is descended from uh, the Canaanites and that these are the people who were, uh, in a way, cursed by God uh, back in the time of Noah and the flood, and the enemies of Israel, uh, the people that uh, uh, were supposed to be destroyed when Israel in, came into the promised land, and yet they were not, and that uh, would lead uh, people away from the true faith. In fact, uh, in the uh, book of Deuteronomy, it's encouraged uh, by God not to marry a Canaanite woman because uh, she'll lead you away from the one true faith. And so all these things are being clarified and, and reminded to us that this woman is not a part of the promise of God from um, the Old Testament times. How do the vast majority of Canaanite people worship? They worship Baal and Asherah in the Old Testament times. And, uh, you know, at the very best, we could say at this time that she's a pagan, uh, whether she's <clears throat> whether she's worshiping uh, Zeus and uh, uh, um, Jupiter and uh, Apollo, as the others were mostly in the Roman Empire at this time. Uh, we can't say for sure, but she is not a temple worshiper. She's not a um, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit worshiper. Uh, at least she shouldn't be by her designation as Canaanite. Yeah, by her ethnic heritage and by her uh, place of birth. So that's what makes the words coming out of her mouth so shocking. Here we have this person from Tyre and Sidon, this Canaanite Seraphonician woman, who should be the epitome of pagan false idol worship. And what comes out of her mouth is, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And then she gives her petition, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Before we go to the, the whole demon thing here, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. What can we learn from the statement that she cried out to Jesus? Well, first off, the words have mercy on me uh, in the Greek are kyrie eleison. Uh, Boy, that a, sounds uh, pretty simple or pretty uh, uh, common to what we do on Sunday morning as we gather for corporate worship. Right. We have a part of our worship service called the kyrie. Uh, we have uh, multiple times throughout the service where we say, Lord, have mercy on us. In the season of Lent, many people pray the words of the litany. Uh, where we say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. Uh, that whole idea is there. This is a confession of faith that maybe uh, we can remember from our um, 
are ensure it that we are before God and asking him to have mercy and steadfast love uh, upon us, just as this woman is asking here right now. Uh, the words son of David are a recognition of who Jesus is as the rightful heir of King David. David was the king of Israel when it was united, both Judah and Israel together. The enemy of the Canaanites, the one who subdued the Canaanites and uh, uh, made them pay tribute to Israel. And so it's also then by saying Jesus is the son of David, uh, uh, putting Jesus in his proper place in a political realm, but then also in a uh, admission that uh, this woman is a Canaanite who should be under the rule of David uh, from the Old Testament standard. So can we surmise here that uh, this woman has heard about Jesus uh, and knows his true identity as the Messiah, God in the flesh, come to save people from their sin? I think we can say that she does. Uh, at least she's heard and has a uh, basic understanding, whether she understands all the details of the theology and all those things yet. Uh, you know, we probably couldn't say, but... She's heard about Jesus. She's sought him out. She understands who he is supposed to be, and now she's found him. Okay, so so we we have this uh, Canaanite Seraphonician woman who shouldn't be a believer by all accounts, but she is. And she goes to Jesus because God in the flesh, Jesus, invites people with their problems to come to him. What is her problem, Pastor? She has a daughter who is oppressed or possessed by a demon. Uh, what that necessarily entails, we don't know for sure. There's many options, uh, uh, ways that uh, demon possession shows itself, but we, we have that uh, basic understanding. The daughter is sick by demon possession. Okay, so, so far we've got a couple of shocking surprises, but the woman is doing everything right. She recognizes Jesus for who he is, God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, the Messiah. She has a severe problem. She doesn't try to solve the problem on her own. She goes to Jesus, who invites people to come with problems. She cries out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the way specific she wants this mercy to be applied, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And then verse 23, we thought we were shocked before that the Canaanite woman appears to have faith. Jesus did not answer her a word. Verse 23. Four times in this short section, Matthew 15, 21 to 28, Jesus answers either by words or he answers with silence. Verse 23 is one of the most difficult passages in all Scripture. But he did not answer her a word. Now, the disciples interpreted Jesus' silence in a very special way. How did the disciples interpret the silence of Jesus toward this Canaanite woman, Pastor? Well, the disciples understand his silence to be a no or a you don't matter or, um, you know, ignoring her. Um, they don't take it as a positive thing, and so they say, uh, you know, let's get rid of her so we can keep on going and taking care of the people who actually you are going to help. Uh, and so that's the way they see that. 
I'm uh, I'm reminded of the old uh, WC film uh, WC Fields films where uh, somebody comes up to Pastor WC Fields and uh, he will look at the person, uh, especially if it's a child because he hates children, and uh, it'll be uh, get away from me, boy, you bother me. That's kind of what we got going on here, or at least that's what it looks like. Now, we know intellectually, when we are studying prayer, that there are three ways that God answers prayer. Yes, no, wait. Never maybe. God's not a God of doubt. And so this woman brings her request to God, Jesus in the flesh. He answers not a word. We don't know if his answer is no or if it is wait. But the disciples surmise this woman is not worthy, because she's a Canaanite, this woman is not worthy to have Jesus do his Jesus stuff with her. They uh, uh, send her away. She's crying out after us. And then Jesus answers again. He answers to the disciples, but he answers in earshot for the woman to hear. And if you have been shocked by what Jesus has been doing or not doing so far, you need to hang on during this break. Because what Jesus says here will, um, will cause you to want to put your seatbelt on your chair or in your car. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the Gospel reading, Matthew fifteen twenty-one to 28, the Gospel reading for the second Sunday in Lent. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Bader has rejoined us. It is a privilege to serve here at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. During this Lenten season, we gather at 4 and 630 p.m. on Wednesdays with a fellowship meal serving from 5 to 615 each week. And you can listen to us live on 95.7 FM LP here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Check us out online, www.thecross957.org. You can even check out our archive section for past programs and some of the many other programs that we have here at Good Shepherd. We're looking at one of the more challenging gospel readings in the entire scriptures, Matthew 15, 21 to 28. We have the Canaanite slash Seraphonician woman who is displaying great faith. She's coming to Jesus. She has a major problem. Her daughter is severely, severely oppressed by a demon. She goes to the right spot. She goes to Jesus. She begs him for healing, but Jesus does not answer. The disciples interpret this as uh, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with her. And so they say, basically, send her away. Uh, she's, she's making a scene. She's crying out after us. 
The master doesn't want anything to do. And then Jesus, unprompted and unscripted, Jesus answers the second time. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Pastor, why in the world does Jesus speak these words at this point in time? Well, he's saying the words that are expected of him here, in a way. Um, she's a Canaanite. He's an Israelite. The two do not mix. They're like oil and water. Uh, the uh, the promise is given to the Israelites, at least in the, uh, the old way of seeing, the old wineskins, if you will. And, uh, and so I think these words are maybe more than just a, a statement of fact there. They're kind of testing the disciples in a way, you know, aren't I sent only for the lost sheep of Israel? Isn't that who I'm supposed to come for? Uh, as if to show them too, oh yeah, you're right. Um, what he's doing is he's testing them to see if they understand the promises of both the Old Testament and also that Christ is going to fulfill later in this gospel with the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Uh, he's seeing if they're understanding that yet, and so far... They're not. Well, do you think that there's a little bit of uh, sarcasm, uh, dramatic irony here in Jesus' words? Um, He has specifically gone to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He is fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament prophets. He is reaching out with the gospel. And it's almost like he's saying these words here, um, you know, if I said them, uh, it would be like being a giant smart aleck. Uh, and we know Jesus doesn't sin, but he's setting them up, and he's setting them up big time to see how they're going to respond and to see how they're going to act. And the woman, even though he's talking specifically to the disciples, she certainly hears it. She came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Pastor, if you were told that you weren't worthy to have the Son of Man, the Son of David, come and speak to you, wouldn't you have your feelings hurt and you'd take off running down the road? What in the world is she doing? Why is she back here? I guess it depends on who I was talking to and how desperate I was for help, right? Um, You know, the... uh a persistence of asking someone over and over and over again until they finally uh, give you what you would like uh, is seen oftentimes in the grocery store uh, with the uh, child who wants the candy bar and they get into the store and what do they start doing right at the beginning, at the beginning of the store in the shopping experience? Can I have a candy bar? 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 And finally, well, there's a certain point where the parent does what? Get some a candy bar. They get right. worn down, and uh, and so uh, the same sort of thing here. Maybe not quite in the uh, annoying way that that takes place, but this woman knows who she's standing before, and she's not going to stop asking until she gets the thing she wants to care for her daughter. She is clinging to what she knows about who Jesus is, and even though the actions and the words coming out of Jesus' mouth do not seem. Uh, To be in accord with what she knows of Jesus, she is going to cling to what she knows to be true. She came, kept on saying, uh, 
knelt before him, Lord, help me. And then Jesus answers the third time. And this is the most horrific one of all. He answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What is Jesus saying here, Pastor, and why is he saying it? Well, I don't know that it's the most horrific one here. I think it's a reality that uh, we all need to deal with in ourselves. What he's saying is is that um, you don't take the things that are promised to one people and uh, pass them out to other people that weren't promised them. You don't take your retirement money and give it to someone who hasn't saved for retirement. You don't take the income that you have earned and uh, give it to those who have no job and haven't earned it. Yeah, it depends who the political leaders are, <laughs> but that's a, that's a whole other program for another day. It is, but, I mean, that's what he's saying. And this also then is another word of Jesus testing them by saying what the people expect when the actual answer is different, to see if this woman is going to get it in the way that the disciples had not earlier. And um, the fact that he calls, he says, we give it to the dogs is the part that maybe catches people off guard because uh, people think it's not very nice to call people a dog. Um, and yet, if we are to be honest about our own sin and the reality of who we are, uh, I think dog is probably nicer than the real reality. We are no good, miserable sinners by what we have thought, uh, by what we have done, and by what we have said. Uh, we don't deserve anything from God except for wrath and punishment. We don't deserve any care or compassion. We deserve hell. That's what we have earned by our actions. And so um, Jesus is saying, do I take heaven and give it to the people who have deserved hell? Uh, do I take uh, God's love and give it to the people that God is supposed to hate? Do I take um, mercy and compassion and give it to those who uh, will tread on it in the gutter? And that's the question that uh, Jesus is asking by these statements and we know the answer as Christians here now and today, um, and this is one of the places where he teaches the answer. The uh, the actions and the words coming out of Jesus' mouth in the second and third response uh, very much echo the common stereotype of the Jewish people toward non-Jews at that time. You can almost see the disciples going, "Yeah, Jesus, go, go, get her, take, get her, you know, you know, slam her, get her, get her." And Jesus is setting them up. He's setting us up because Jesus has in mind all along what he's going to do. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And the woman responds, "Yes, Lord." Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Vicar, is the woman admitting that she's a dog? She is. She's admitting that she is unworthy of the thing which she's requesting from Jesus to have her daughter healed of this uh, demon possession. And uh, she accepts that. She says, Lord, I know my place in relation to you. Still, I'm begging you to help me. Uh I can't help but think of my own dog, you know, every time we sit down, we got to make sure he's outside or else what is he doing if we're sitting down for a nice meal and he's anywhere close to us? Begging. <laughs> yeah, and that's what she's doing. She knows that Jesus, as she said, Lord, is able to help her, and so she's going to keep on begging until he gives in. The response then finally, the fourth response 
Jesus knew all along what he was going to do, and he takes the disciples and he takes us on this journey that exposes our own sin and our own prejudices. And he says in verse 28, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Pastor, there are a lot of people that really struggle with these kind of passages. We know, because God's Word clearly teaches, that we are saved by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus tells this woman, great is your faith, it makes it sound like because her faith was great, she has now rewarded or earned this miracle or this favor from God. How is that a false way to look at this particular passage, and what is the correct way to look at it? Yeah, we talked about the same idea here a couple of weeks ago with the idea that faith in this case, just like the case a couple of weeks ago, faith is a noun. It's not a verb. It's not an action that we're fulfilling. It's something that we have, and it's in fact a noun that we have, not because of something we've done, but because it's been given to us in the same way that a Christmas present, you have a Christmas present on Christmas Day, not because you went to the store and bought yourself a Christmas present, but rather someone else gave it to you. And this is the same thing with faith. Faith is given to this woman by the preaching of the word, uh, by the hearing of the message of Christ through different people. And she has the faith as a gift from God. And now uh, she's using that gift that she's been given uh, appropriately um, to to get grace and mercy from Jesus. That's what faith does. It clings to the promises of Christ. So we have here an example of God's grace and mercy, and we also have an example of how God remembers. He remembers not the sin of this Seraphonician Canaanite woman. It is great. Uh, I'm sure that many times throughout her life, she worshipped at pagan altars, maybe offered sacrifices to uh, Baal or Asherah, and then somewhere along the line, because of God's mercy and steadfast love, she heard the gospel. She heard the good news. By the power of God, not because of any reason or strength inside of her, God gave her the gift of faith. And this gift of faith clung to the promises of God. She remembered not her own sin. She remembered the goodness of God. She remembered the promises of God. And she clung to those promises tenaciously. And Jesus remembered who he is, his love, his steadfast mercy, and he showed it in the gift of the healing for the woman, but more important, woman's daughter, but more importantly, in the gift of faith that this uh, um, woman pleading for her daughter displayed and so desperately needed. Pastor, any other comments on this particular text here as we wrap things up? Well, so the words of Christ here then answer the other statements from before. Um, Is Christ sent only to the lost children of Israel? No, he's sent to all the world. Um, Because God just ignore our cries and our pleas? No, he always hears them and he always answers in his own good time. Um, And and so 
it's not the old wineskins, it's not the old way of thinking, but instead, in Christ, we have a new way of looking at the promises of God uh, fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Vicar, you want to bring things to a close for the second Sunday in Lent by praying the collect of the day. Let us pray. O God, you see that of ourselves we have no strength, but by your mighty power defend us from all adversities that may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. This is Proclaiming the One, the second Sunday in Lent. Sunday morning, get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ.